Hello and welcome to Quadrivia, the podcast that takes you a step beyond trivia into the minds of the people who craft it. I'm Jeremy with Liquid Courage in Chicago. And I'm Calvin with Footnote Trivia in San Francisco. This is Jason, also with Liquid Courage in Chicago. I'm Aaron with Orange Cat Trivia in Richmond, Virginia. And this is Corey with Third Degree Entertainment in Spokane, Washington. Uh, and welcome to the episode, everybody. We're going to start, before we get into our icebreaker today, we'd like to uh, talk about Calvin a little bit more. You haven't been with us before, so uh, tell us a little bit more about Footnote. Hi, thanks for having me. This is my first time on the podcast. I'm excited to be here. I've been hosting Trivia in San Francisco for about three years now. I used to play at a bar, and the old host retired. He asked if I would like to take over, and that was three and a bit years ago. Awesome. Uh, tell us a little bit about you know, some of your bars or your, uh, your format, you know, what, what's something exciting that draws people into your show? Absolutely. One thing that's kind of interesting about my place is it's a wine bar versus like a normal bar. So I like to joke that the clientele is just a little bit different. Um, as a result, you know, questions kind of have to get a little less kind of sports and bro focused and more wine bar whatever that means <laughs> you know those people getting wine drunk exactly so i think that's what kind of makes my thing a little unique it's a smaller bar they let me control everything there's no television screens i have full control of whatever music gets played and it's very hands-off so the owners of the place let me do kind of whatever i want as a result my questions kind of are tailored towards things that i would like to be asked. I don't ask very many questions a night. I only ask 18 regular questions with a halftime and a final question thrown in. So those questions tend to be a little more longer, a little more complicated, a little more padded out. So I don't have quantity. I have quality, as I like to say. Okay. And how many questions a night did you say that you uh, do? I do nine in the first half. A halftime question with about 10, nine in the second half, and then a final question with about five or six questions. So 18, 28, maybe 33 of them. And it's the format that I inherited from the old host. Some of you might be familiar with this concept, but um, questions are grouped into groups of three. And you can wager like uh, my numbers are one, three, and five points per group of three questions, but you can only use each point value once. Yeah, that definitely sounds familiar. There was, uh, mm -hmm. I think, a national brand that had uh, built a franchise in my area that ran their games that way. Yeah, we've got one here, too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess the old host must have taken inspiration from that one. I kind of like it because it kind of quizzes what people think they know in addition to what they know. And mm -hmm. some of my regulars say that that's the most annoying part is coming up with the point value rather <laughs> than the answer. And I think that's why I can get away with so few questions is because people have to put a little more thought into how well they know something. So, so basically what you're saying is you have the opportunity with, uh, you know, the smaller rounds there throughout the course of the night to just kind of let those uh, questions breathe. Absolutely. So they're all asked and I ask a question, you turn in an answer format so you don't have to hold on to anything. And one of my important things I've developed from this is 
I think there's a difference between writing questions for uh, like a Jeopardy style where it's one person responsible for answering it. And then there's a different style of writing a question where you can bring a group together to discuss things. So I'm constantly looking for ways to get groups to talk to each other more so than just have one guy that. I want to jump in and say that you did the right thing there. And that is when Jason stretches to make a pun, you just ignore it <laughs> and move on. I, I had it on tap for like 30 seconds. So I'm like, he's taking this professionally. I love it. But just, <laughs> Jesus, acknowledge the wine you, pun. Somebody, you please. did the right thing. Yeah, nicely done. Do not encourage him. <laughs> Do not feed that ego. We, we we can shorten that down. That was a bit rambly, but uh, absolutely not. In fact, this will not be shortened down either. Everyone is going to hear you say uh, that. Great. Okay. Beautiful. Long questions. I had a location that I I used to host that that was a, a wine bar, and they had a they shared a hallway with a pizza place, and uh, over the the three three and a half years that I hosted there. Uh, the pizza place had to hire two or three more employees to work on Tuesday nights because the trivia crowd was bringing them so much business. That's awesome. It was uh, it was really fun because I got to watch trivia bring in kind of a, a younger, uh, different crowd than would normally be in the wine bar, like you kind of touched on. It was a lot of fun until they got rid of me. <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> we used to have a uh, cigar and uh, martini and wine bar uh, around here. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long. It, it was really interesting. They always had like a piano player and stuff. They're like a completely different vibe than a normal bar. I kind of like it. I like not having to deal with like I know some most bars actually have television, so I'll never have to compete with any sporting event. And that way I know that the people who show up on a Tuesday are pretty much here just for trivia. Mm -hmm. I occasionally, as a kind of funny thing, is there's a lot of like Tinder dates that show up there. And they have <laughs> no idea there's a trivia event because wine bar, mm -hmm. of course. So it's it's really fun making the rounds, asking people want to play and immediately being able to be like, you two have no idea who each other are you're clearly on your first date and it's it's a, like sometimes one party is like oh this sounds fun i'm like you two don't seem like you're going to be very happy <laughs> like <laughs> like getting just pelted with these kind of challenging questions so do you do do you guys notice that those uh those first dates especially if they're a blind date or like a tinder hookup uh do they often for you either not put a team name or ask you to come up with one for them? Because I feel like I've had that happen a lot for me. Huh. No. I'd say, at least at my shows, it doesn't happen that often. But when they do, it's usually just some like lame combination of their first initials. It's like, oh, we're B and L. <laughs> I've seen that before. <laughs> I, I often get them asking me for one, or they just leave it blank, and I'll always fill it in with either she doesn't know I'm proposing or he doesn't know I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And it's always great because the proposing one, like I'll, I'll, you know, make a big production of it and I'll point at them and the whole bar starts clapping and they just get really red on their first date <laughs> and then they never come back. It's really fun. Because <laughs> that's what you want, really, at the end of the day. Eh, I'll have to steal that. That's a good idea. I'm not telling you your method is wrong. But it might not be advantageous. I don't know. Meh, you know, 
I mean, I love it personally, but, and this is maybe something we could, we could discuss in depth at a different time, but I have this theory that all trivia hosts are actually secretly Slytherins. If they're not public about it, they're all like, no, we're Ravenclaws. Like hell you are. We <laughs> enjoy having the room in the palm of our hands and don't tell me otherwise. Like there is something amazing about getting an emotion out of people, whether it's that making them embarrassed on a first date, or even like when you read an answer and everyone in the room goes, ah, like, I don't know about y'all, but I live for that stuff. I like that. Uh, when you ask like a, a round of questions, they're like very punny, and the whole room groans. It's fantastic, right? It's great. I'm a Hufflepuff, but I could see being a Slytherin uh, when hosting. I can see Slytherin. I just think it's a little like mainly Slytherin and a little bit of Ravenclaw, a little bit of Hufflepuff, and nothing of Gryffindor. Oh, nothing of Gryffindor. Yeah, fucking Gryffindor. Right. Like basically, tree hosts are not Gryffindor. Is a statement I can get behind. <laughs> like here here's my take on the whole thing i'm effectively putting on a two and a half hour one man show and if you're there to watch it cool i'm gonna do it anyway you know speaking of watching it because we needed a good transition okay when's that gonna happen i'm working on it here all right <laughs> i woke up like 20 minutes ago about 15 minutes after this was supposed to start so i'm not quite up to speed yet um Streaming. We're talking about streaming today. And Jason, since you were the last one to talk, uh, why don't you kind of take us into that? I know that you've made the transition uh, during COVID-19 mm-hmm. to hosting online. What have you uh, seen in that space? How does it differ? How is it the same? And how do you feel about it? It um, it sucks. It sucks a lot. I'll be honest with you. It's such a a difference between being in a live room uh, and being able to play off like an environment and other people and and catching a vibe from people. And then just sitting here like in my basement, um, reading questions to a a screen, essentially. It is a very weird kind of culture shocky transition to make, but it's, it's the circumstances we find ourselves all in. So um, yeah, uh, I know uh, Corey, you've transitioned. I know uh, Jeremy is building uh, something in his space. Aaron is doing uh, trivia as well. So, Aaron, do you want to talk to us a little bit about how you've transitioned over to an online platform during uh, all this shutdown? Absolutely. Uh, in a word, gradually. Um, I'm not super tech savvy. And, you know, like I said, when we talked about it last week, my game is very analog. You get pens and papers. There's no screens. There's no slideshow. I read you questions. I don't even get my iPad doing math until year like two and a half. So, to have to do everything digitally has been a challenge. I'd never really used Facebook Live before. That's the that's the platform I stream on. And the reason I do that is because my dinky ass laptop can't handle Twitch. I tried Twitch a couple weeks ago and it just it just shut down. After about 30 seconds, it just... Mm-hmm. I remember that. I was kibitzing that show. It was uncomfortable. Um, I figured out finally, after several trial and error sessions, how to get slides up. So now you can see my face and the slides, uh, which is a huge pain in the butt. And fair play to every host that inputs their stuff into a slideshow it's tedious it's boring it's repetitive and you have to double check to make sure that like because if your answer slide and your question slide are identical except for the answer like you don't want the answers to pop up there's just a lot more that i've never considered but one thing to piggyback off what jason just said one thing that has been a godsend for me is my best friend rob uh has been helping me write questions and helping me host and having another person in the room makes it feel a little more authentic the first stream i did i was basically just talking to a screen and you you need that. Like like Jason said, you, you vibe off the people in the room. You can, you know, in real time respond to heckles. You can joke with people. You can 
when a joke lands, you know, because you can hear people laughing and you don't get that in a room by yourself. So as a host, as a performer, it's very difficult to get that sense of, of, of rhythm and normalcy back. Um, but everyone's been really patient, at least with my regulars, my, my the people that play my game. Everyone's been super cool and super supportive. So, so far positive, but definitely a learning curve. You know, I been trying lately to to talk one of my hosts into coming and doing like a co-host with me because i connect so much with what you just said i hate the fact that i'm just sitting in front of a, a camera and you know put on display for two two and a half hours here well you already love being in front of a live audience don't you yeah yeah i was gonna say i think i touched on this in another episode but i i hate being the center of attention i mean i've been hosting for five years now and I still get nervous every time I go up uh but at least when I'm hosting in person I can go around the room and I can talk to people and I'll sit down at tables with the teams uh I can move and fiddle and do whatever I need to do to kind of release that that stress and that anxiety you can't do that sitting in front of a camera I'm just stuck with you know 50 people staring at me and I'm like oh hey I'm con just <laughs> constantly uh, focusing on where my hat is or what direction I'm facing or like, oh, no, did it look like I picked my nose? Like, <sighs> it's it's horrible for me. I'm getting all ugh, I'm squirming right now just thinking about it. And you have to, like, put that all away and hide it when you're hosting. I don't like it. Yeah, it's absolutely surreal. I watch, uh, you know, for instance, last week tonight on HBO and John Oliver is taken to doing. Uh, his show just completely in isolation and it's it's yep. eerily silent in places where you don't expect it to be and that that screws with you a little psychologically just from a, a viewer standpoint so it's kind of good to know that it affects the performers too not just the audience so what is everyone using to stream because I, I believe everybody in here is streaming online mm -hmm. uh, what is everyone using what, what platforms, what software, what hardware? So at least for us, uh, I'll jump in on this one. Uh, basically, Jason and I got ourselves set up on uh, Twitch. I think we both had accounts before from like uh, speedrunning things, things we did before but didn't really use it much. Um, and then getting tied into, you know, how do you like stream here? How do you get the stuff on your screen to other people? How do you get your camera... Uh, to light up and put you there too, uh, and a lot of that comes with uh, a software called uh, OBS or Open Broadcasting Software. Particularly, the one I use is the Streamlabs version. Uh, basically, OBS being open source, they have their base program, but they give the code out there for other companies to use it. Um, so, a lot of people who stream, after doing some research, I found out I would say seventy-five to eighty percent of the people streaming on Twitch are using uh, Streamlabs OBS or Slobs for short, which I think is hilarious. So really started learning how to use that uh, to do what we needed it to do. Uh, even last night, as an example, we were doing some Jackbox on my channel and the Jackbox servers went down because more than likely there's so many people stuck home on a Saturday night with nothing to do and they can't go out. So they're trying to find stuff to do online, which is kind of where we come in, uh, giving them a platform to do so uh, and still be social and all that. And we on the fly figured out how to get a browser window to show up in uh, OBS so we could play some cards against humanity instead for a while. You know, basically I'm still learning. I, I have a lot, a lot of learning to do. Um, 
probably in the next week or so going to be testing out a green screen uh, so that there's not my room behind me, but I can either make it blank or I could put something else behind me. We could probably do something else with uh, that on the stream as well. Uh, I was trying to get a little bit more fancy because I don't know how long we're going to be doing this. And it does definitely look like it's, it's going to be longer than it is shorter at this point. Yeah. So right now it's about how do we up the quality too? Like at first it was like, okay, we can get our trivia online or we can do Jackbox. We can do all this other stuff. Well, now it's like more, more people are moving into this space. So how do we make it? So anybody even cares <laughs> that it's mm -hmm. us, I think is part yeah. of the challenge that we see with streaming. Uh, because if you go on Twitch at any time, there's 30 million people streaming content, whether it be video games or chatting or painting or trivia or Jackbox or whatever, whatever else you might be doing. Um, so it's like, how do we keep our quality up uh, so that we become relevant? And honestly, uh, how do we still earn some money from it? <laughs> uh, you know, the trivia night for me, it was, I only have one solid show a week. Usually I'm more of a fill in, but I have my show every week. Well, that's gone. Um, I mean, you know, even for me, you know, for a lot of you guys, it's that that's your livelihood. That's everything. So how do you make, what you were doing before online? Like, how do you monetize this stream? No, that's a really good question. And if you have the answer, I am happy to hear it. <laughs> well, so yeah. Jeremy and Jason, you're you're both um, hosting on Twitch. Are mm -hmm. you doing any Facebook Live or Zoom uh, or any other platforms? Uh, I can go ahead and take this. I, I have the capability through Streamlabs to do what's known as multi-streaming, where I can just send one feed out to multiple platforms. Uh, I experimented with it a little bit last week and, you know, streamed to Twitch and then tried to cross stream to Facebook Live. Uh, and it worked okay the first time, although it is kind of complicated juggling two different chats simultaneously. Um, the second time, it just straight up didn't work, uh, at least the Facebook end. Once I removed the cross stream, everything went to Twitch just fine. So at this point, for me, it's better the devil you know, uh, and I've been on Twitch now consistently for about three weeks, so I don't see myself transitioning to another uh, streaming platform at this point, but I know, uh, Calvin, uh, I think you're the only one of us that's using Zoom right now, so do you want to talk to us a little bit about your experience with that? Yeah, I can chime in here. So currently, I've hosted two trivia events, both of them on Zoom, and I think the big difference between me and kind of everyone else is that I have an RSVP. So I kind of ask people if they're interested in playing, I get their information so I know what teams are on and requirements they might need. Then when it comes time to actually do the trivia the night of, or the day of, I'll email everyone who RSVP'd a link to a Zoom meeting. So that way kind of I know of everyone who's going to be there and I know of roughly how many viewers are going to participate. Oh, it's really nice to have that information in advance. It's like as intimate as a virtual trivia can go. 70-ish people is still too much to let everyone talk. So everyone is muted and I'm the only one talking. Right. But at the same time, they see me. But if people are courteous doing virtual meeting um, etiquette, that a lot some people open up their video feeds so I can see them. So it's fun being able to recognize regulars and kind of like, you know, make fun of one person for doing something because I do that all the time in person and now I can do it online. I do like the intimacy that Zoom brings in. And I think that's what keeps me on Zoom and will keep me 
on Zoom. And if not Zoom, at least some sort of video conferencing platform. Aaron, you said you're, uh, you're on Facebook Live. And part of the, the issue was just running Twitch itself, right? Yeah, my computer sucks. It's, I, I bought it basically to be an internet box that let me connect to the internet, write trivia, goof around on Facebook, and record podcasts. So I didn't have, I didn't buy it with gaming in mind because that wasn't what I was planning to use it for. So there's not a lot of power, uh, not a lot of anything. So I'm limited to Facebook Lives for, for now, as far as I can tell. I got lucky, I guess, in a sense. I had uh, just bought a new desktop computer. I wasn't using it too often. It, it was more of a backup for all of my, my business files, my you know karaoke files, and all of my, my trivia questions and everything. But I decided to go all in, got a really nice computer, great graphics card, and you know 16 gigs of RAM, and built it all up. And so when this happened, I was able to to go right into streaming with no no issues. He was able to handle it like a champ. But I know some of you have had to actually buy stuff to get you into the space, right? Uh, yeah, that's definitely what happened on my end. I was kind of like Aaron was. I was just using my personal use laptop, um, streamed once or twice off of that, and was just having major technical issues um, as far as you know bandwidth and running multiple applications on my laptop simultaneously because it's not just the streaming software. You have to have all the other back-end stuff to run a trivia game. Um, even if it's just Google Chrome, that's more than one thing that it's being tasked to do. So uh, after two days of not great streams, I ran to a local big box electronics dealer and said, I need a gaming computer. I don't really care as long as it has gaming quality specs and I can stream halfway decent content with it. So $1,500 in parts later, here I am staring at a 43-inch TV because the said big box retail apparently doesn't sell monitors. <laughs> Which is something is ridiculous, by the way. It's, it's absolutely absurd, yeah. Did you set up another monitor, or are you only running on that, that one screen? Uh, no, I currently have two set up right now. Um, I have the capability to do as many as four, and I might expand to a third uh, for various reasons here while I'm streaming, but uh, right now I don't have access to a third. So I've got two set up. Uh, one has the stream software sitting on it, and then uh, anything that I'm trying to display to the public side, I'll throw on a secondary screen, and that's usually just kind of captured into the software, depending on what the use case is. So yeah, I, I currently, I'm running a, a three-screen setup right now, and I feel cramped. I'm itching to get my fourth one set up. When I'm, when I'm streaming on Twitch, I'll have the slideshow on one monitor, which is being displayed out to the viewers. I will have my, my slobs on my side monitor, so that I can monitor chat and uh, the, the actual streaming quality. And then my main screen, I'm doing everything else. I'm running the score sheet. I'm looking up questions and issues, things like that. And uh, I hate it. I, I, I have no space. I need another screen that I can, you know, because we'll also have Slack in the background that I, I keep running in case another host needs help or in case I need to reach out for something. And uh the discord we've all got discord channels now it's it's been crazy i i feel so cramped and then i see other people out that are out doing it on like just their laptop and i'm really jealous yeah i'm jealous that like you're able to do that because i oh i'd be tearing my hair out 
I was definitely going to say that, like, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head, though, for if you want to stream to a professional streaming platform like Twitch or Mixer or um, any of the... Uh, I'm trying to remember what the other one is. There's a newer one that just popped up recently uh, that's made for, like, game streaming and stuff like that. You have to have a decent gaming-level computer with a separate GPU. The thing is, you could stream on a, a lesser chip, even a little bit less RAM, but you have to have the GPU or the graphics processing unit, so the graphics card, to back it up. Because you can actually tell the streaming software to use the graphics card for all of its processing. But if you don't have that, everything is on your CPU and your main computer's, you know, basically it's its brain. And it's just, it's going to go on overload. And that's definitely a... Uh, technical struggle I think a lot of people will have that are trying to out of nowhere break into this space um, as Aaron found out you know you, that the, the laptop made for just going online uh, and not much more isn't going to cut it when trying to have multiple sources going into a video output <laughs> yeah and the hardest part has been there's no real way to test anything like I, I ran a surprise Monty Python game on Tuesday because I wanted to see if I could figure out slobs on the fly and it turns out I couldn't but there's no real way to do it in a closed loop because you don't realize you run into these issues until you're doing it live with real players. And I've been lucky that people have been understanding, but I've been in other games where people are not so understanding. And it's so frustrating to watch these people who are doing a, basically a public service get shot on by assholes in the chat. Oh, uh, yeah. Welcome to the Internet. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately. I mean, really, it's the, the anonymity breeds uh, contempt. And it's basically, they feel like, well, nobody knows who I am, so I can say whatever I want. And I think we've gotten to a point now where people don't realize that actually 95% of the people in the room do know who you are, and they know your name on yeah. Facebook, and they know where you live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's one of the benefits of using Facebook Live, is no one's hiding behind a screen name or a username or a handle like they are on Twitch. I know who you are. So people, I think, are less likely to be dicks to me than they are in Twitch streams. Yeah, and well, and that's the thing. Like, actually, I haven't had any issues in Twitch. I, I think I had one troll pop into the channel so far at one point, who literally pulled the. Okay, at first I engaged, and I was like, "Nope, I see what you're doing," and I ignored them, and they went away. Uh, within five minutes, they were gone. They stopped posting stuff. I uh, just hmm. didn't acknowledge that they were there. I I should say I we have a friend who uh, just started streaming Jackbox content just. Uh, for friends a couple days ago, and uh, she was sending me messages while I was on stream saying, hey, how do I kick somebody out of a game on Jackbox or kick somebody out of my uh, Twitch channel? Because they were, you know, just dropping like racist comments and homophobic messages and just the kind of oh. stuff you don't expect to see from like your normal trivia crowd. Right. But yeah, we're, we're at a brave new frontier on this right now. We have to remember that we got here late. <laughs> right yeah that's true <laughs> we did we, we were very late to this game but that's kind of what we have to there, there's there's a good side and a bad side of that the bad side is it's really hard to get in uh you know, people have their set viewers the set channels they want to watch uh so you're trying to pull from that and get people to watch you instead um not that that's necessarily the main cause but just getting that those viewers over to your channel and then you have the uh, other side of it where at least there's all this advice out there there's a lot of places to look for how to set things up I think even mm -hmm. two years ago, I would have had a way harder time getting into this than I did now. Because it's like, oh, what does this do? Type it into Google. There's 30 or 40 other streamers who have posted a video about it. And that's something that's been completely without, you can't put a, I don't say valueless, that's the wrong word, invaluable, that's the one, um, is the ability to have not just the co-op in this network of you guys, but, you know, I played a game a couple Mondays ago 
they were using Facebook Live with picture in picture. And I was able to chat the guy that ran the company and say, hey, how the heck are you doing this? And he said, here's how I'm doing it. Here's my setup. Let me know if you have any questions. Just the support, everyone wanting to help everyone get on the same page and be creating a quality product has been invaluable. Uh, it's fantastic. Like I said, they know what they're doing. Uh, before we get too far into uh, the advice for streaming, which I think we really need to hit on, Calvin being the one that uses uh, a Zoom here, I've been reading some horror stories, and I want to hear it from his perspective about um, Zoom being so like open-ended, where that if you don't have it completely locked down on your side, there are people like I think they're calling it Zoom bombing or jumping into channels. Like I read one story where like some like elementary school class in New York, I think it was like a guy popped in and exposed himself to the channel. Oh my god! Uh, I mean, they, they they've literally the New York City public schools have shut down using Zoom for their classes now because this happened. Uh, have you had anything like that come up, Calvin? So personally, I have not had any issues, but I have had the foresight of making sure that I am the only participant who can share a screen. I am the only person who can talk. Everyone's muted upon entry and cannot unmute themselves. So I think the absolute worst thing someone could do is type stuff into general chat, which is pretty much the same as Twitch at that point. Um, however, the second side of it is the fact that um, there's the Zoom bombing aspect, but then there's the Zoom security aspect. Uh, without getting too much into the technical details, it's not encrypted, generally speaking. So we're not transmitting sensitive information, but at the same time, I do feel a little bad asking viewers to use it, especially if they might have an aversion to Zoom or they might not want to support Zoom, the company because of this reason and i'm open to ways around it but at the same time i haven't found a better alternative yet so for the time being at zoom but i do fully understand the shortcomings but as for zoom bombing i'm pretty sure with the right settings you can keep everything locked out so let me ask you guys have you seen um whether in our group or not have you seen other trivia hosts uh Shows being streamed, be it on Facebook Live, Twitch, uh, Zoom meetings. Have you seen anybody else uh, provide their services? And, and what do you think about what they're doing? Yeah, I've been playing a bunch because I have nothing else to do. And it's a way to keep in touch with friends. Um, and it's been really cool to see what other companies do, both in terms of gameplay and in terms of technology. It's good for both, you know, inspiring questions <laughs> that I can then use for my game. And also, like I was saying earlier, just turning around and going, hey, how'd you do that thing? I would like to be able to do that thing. Mm -hmm, for sure. I know I'm uh, seeing uh, Lita George out in New York is doing a weekly thing on Twitch, and he's been on the platform a lot longer than, you know, most of us have. So just sitting and watching his stream and seeing some of the, you know, on screen overlays that he uses and the way he paces things, I, I feel like I've picked up a little bit uh, from watching that. Now, that's basically the only game I'm playing right now. I know uh, some of us are, you know, at least watching or playing or even just helping out other people. So feel free to, to chime in with anything you've taken away from those experiences for sure. So I could chime in here. Uh, one thing that helped me out a lot, like Aaron alluded to, is just seeing someone who's hosting trivia in a manner very similar to your own. There's another host on the co-op and in San Francisco, Oliver, who also does a Zoom meeting. And I more or less ripped his format because he technically started <laughs> a week before me. So it's all very similar. The, we do a couple things different. Like my question is just a little stylistically different than his. And I do slides and he doesn't do slides. But we do have a chance to talk about 
pacing, timing, why all of our games keep on running way the hell over time. And, yeah, why is that? Ah, it's technical stuff, you know, like just setting things up takes like 30 or 40 minutes. So we're constantly trying to think of ways to quicken that process from yeah. like getting people to change their display names to include their team name to trying to do a little pre-population beforehand. It's a slow little learning process, but I think we're shaving off time and figuring out some technicalities. But yeah, one of the biggest things that's helped me is just seeing how other people are doing it and even participating in a Zoom trivia gets gives me a sense of what it's like to be a participant at my own game, which I think is important. I want to shout out really quick to Oliver, who you mentioned there. Uh, I have, like I said, I'm up in Spokane, and one of my longtime regulars uh, was taking a trip down to San Francisco and wound up playing at one of Oliver's events. And uh, so now when she's playing uh, on my Twitch stream, sometimes he'll jump in and they'll they'll say hi and talk to each other. And it's it's been really, really cool uh, how being part of the trivia co-op has been able to kind of connect us that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the world's definitely getting smaller the further and further we go into this online space, for sure. Yep. Um, I think going back to Calvin's point on, uh, and, and what Aaron brought up ultimately on like why everything takes longer, you have to... You have to keep in mind that, you know, when we do these live shows in bars, it's as simple as our question goes out to them at the speed of sound and they walk their answer up to us or what have you. But now because we're cobbling together so many different communication styles and platforms and there's bandwidth issues, latency, you know, delays pretty much at every point in that chain, what normally takes, you know, 90 seconds, for instance, in a live environment, all of a sudden takes three, four minutes just to have the same kind of interactivity. And you do have to take that into account for sure. I guess that's true. I don't think about the aggregate effects. I'm asking 50 questions a night and I guess even, you know, 10 or 15 seconds adds up. But I was thinking about it last Thursday. You know, my first stream game took like three hours and that was no good. And the second one took 2.45 and that was still no good. And this one took like 2.15. It feels like it's going so much faster and the scoring is faster and everything else seems fast and like there's no need to wait for people to get beer. I don't know. But I think you're right. I think it is just the aggregate of, you know, I take a hair longer here and there and all of a sudden it's 20 minutes. Well, so what are some of the things that you've done to get that time down? Most of it, honestly, Jason has written these uh, automatic score sheets. The biggest issue the first week was I had one person trying to score 65 answer sheets by hand. And that is not sustainable. I just wasn't expecting that many teams to show up. Mm-hmm. So Jason's magic automated score sheets TM have been <laughs> incredibly useful. You know what the biggest irony on those is, by the way, not to derail, but mm. the biggest irony is I am the only trivia host that I know of these days that just refuses to use those sheets. Oh, I don't know. You're not even using them? No, I've never once used them. Huh. I mean, they, they work really well, except when I break them and they don't. But I mean... That cut an hour off right away. Um, The big problem on my end is those sheets work great if your format is I'm going to present you a whole round worth of questions and then you present me a filled out answer sheet. Um, But that's that's just not what my live format is like. It's more, you know, I present one question and then we grade one answer at a time. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. translate really great to what I'm naturally doing. Uh, If I put together a format here that works like one round at a time, you better believe I'm going to use the magic score sheet. (laughs) As you should, because they're excellent. Well, thank yeah, you. that was huge. And it's it's been just about identifying 
where the slowdowns are happening. And I'm at the point now where I think it is, it's just talking and pacing and, and being aware of lags and whatever else. And I don't know how much more time I can realistically shave. Because the other issue I have is that I was asking questions, I was going through them too quickly and people were saying in the chat, slow down, slow down. And I'm like, but I don't want to slow down because it's already taking too long. Mm -hmm. It's just about finding that sweet spot. And that's trial and error. And I do think a big thing that you can do, and I'm not necessarily advising you for or against this, but uh, the more information you can have in a visual medium, uh, especially while streaming, mm -hmm. um, that's that's a way you can cut down, you know, repeated question timing, uh, having a timer for on sure. screen, that kind of stuff that can help enforce pacing a little bit, too. Yeah, the slideshow is, I think, going to help a lot with that, too, is having this having the questions where everyone can see them. And then like a recap sheet at the end of the round for when they're actually filling out their like Google forms and submitting to you. So they remember which question goes in which spot, that kind of thing. Right. Yep. So yeah, Google forms are really popular for, for this right now, uh, as far as people sending their answers into us, if you're doing that kind of scored interactive game, I know a couple people in here are using, including myself, um, other options to actually receive responses and grade them. Anybody want to chime in on that and how, you know, easy it is for players to kind of jump into your stream and actively participate. I started out, you know, in the live trivia, I'm very much a 10 questions, 10 answer uh, format. I, I don't like the one question, one answer. I like to give people time to think about it and work on it. But on the, the streaming side of things, it's, I've found for me, it's a lot easier to do it that way. So I'm using an app called Triv Now. It's an app that I, full disclosure, I've been working with the creator of the app uh, for about six months now, uh, just kind of testing it out for them, uh, offering suggestions here and there, and running it at a couple live shows to see how things go. But it's it's helped me a lot uh, being able to immediately make that jump to online because anyone anywhere just needs to take the uh, private event code and, and throw it into their app, and they can play along. The biggest issue I've had with it, of course, is if they're following along on Twitch, you know, they might get up to a 15 second delay. So then they're complaining that they don't have as much time to answer it. But the questions are also in the app. As long as they're like following along and paying more attention to their app than they are to the stream, then they should be uh, all right. But I would like to get back to, to 10 questions, 10 answers. Oh, the way you normally do it at your live shows? Yeah. I mean, if you need some help getting that set up, uh, like infrastructurally, I know a guy. I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, this is Corey from the future here. This conversation went on a little bit longer than we were expecting. So we're actually going to move on with the show here, and we will release the second half of this discussion as a mini episode later this week. Keep an eye out on Twitter, Facebook, whatever you're using to follow us, and we will let you know when that episode drops. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get back to the episode. All right, so on that note, I think <laughs> we are ready. <laughs> I think we're ready for this week's keyword challenge. Hey, Calvin. Yes. Do you have any idea what this week's keyword challenge is? I do not know what the keyword challenge is. Would you be very kind as to explain it to me? I sure can. So the keyword challenge is something we do every week here on the podcast uh, where we take a random word, uh, name, or phrase that uh, one of our listeners or uh, supporters has contributed to us. Uh, none of us know what this word, phrase, or name is at this moment. I'm going to uh, pull it 
absolutely blindly and at random from all our submissions. Uh, once I give you that keyword, you are going to have 10 minutes of real time uh, to craft the single best, most uh, unique trivia question you can uh, that has something to do with that keyword. Once you do, we're all going to come back together and uh, present our questions to each other for uh, criticism, comment, and basically to decide who wrote the best question. So you game for that? I am game. My favorite pastime is critiquing trivia questions. So I love <laughs> You this. need a better hobby. It is fun, isn't it? Yep. You know it's a great hobby. <laughs> All right. So, uh, lady and gentlemen, are we ready for this week's keyword? Born ready. Let's do it. We have to thank Liz Hudson from Oakland, California for this week's key Yay. phrase. Liz Hudson. I love her. It's apple pie. Okay. So not something fucking horrible this week all right. yeah no no skunk badger this week we just all have to write a question about apple pie in some way shape or form and uh we'll see you guys on the other side hey everyone jason here while the host and i step away to think about our keyword challenge we just wanted to remind you that you can check us out online at quadrivia pod on twitter on facebook just search for quadrivia podcast and you can always email us quadriviapod at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear from you. And now, back to the show. And that has been about 10 minutes. So, uh, Aaron, Calvin, Jeremy, Corey, you guys ready with your questions? Ready as I'll ever be. Yes, I am. Oh, were we supposed to right one <laughs> yeah once again big shout out to Liz hudson out in uh, oakland california some of you might know her from other podcast appearances that's how i know her uh the keyword for this week's keyword challenge was apple pie and i feel like this one is familiar and open-ended enough that we're going to see a lot of different directions on it so i'm looking forward to see what you guys came up with uh aaron do you want to kick us off i would love to if apple pie is quintessentially american apple pie moonshine must also be what is the two-word slang term used for illegally distilled spirits? In 1940, a pair of bottlers in Tennessee appropriated it for their new drink that they developed to mix with booze. So again, there are several two-word terms for moonshine. I want the one that was appropriated in 1940 by a pair of bottlers in Tennessee for the new drink they made to mix with their alcohol. Oh, okay. I think I see where you're going with uh, where you're going on this one. I originally in my head uh, was thinking white lightning until I picked up on that mixer reference. That would be Mountain Dew. It would be. I actually, I really like that. I've started going into, well, I'm doing low sugar right now, but uh, back when bars were open and I wasn't doing low sugar, I would go into really fancy craft cocktail bars and order Tullamore Dew with Mountain Dew. And just get the most disgusted looks from people, but uh, <laughs> yeah, as you should. But it 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 mixes really well. I mean, it, Mountain Dew was literally made to mix with whiskey, mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's a really. I, I encourage you all to try it. Get a Tullamore Dew and Mountain Dew, and oh man, it's good. I'll try it. Fancy bartenders will get upset. For the listeners, you absolutely should listen to Corey's advice on this. He is uh, the resident connoisseur of all things alcoholic beverage. As long as it's PBR, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, anybody have any notes or anything they wanted to point out on that question before we move on? It was a perfect question. Uh, and in fact, I've got a question that I think plays really well off of that. So I'm, I'm going to jump in with mine here. 
Uh, calling apple pie American is accurate in that Americans have a history of claiming whatever they want. (laughs) (laughs) Mock apple pie is no exception. First seen on British ships in the early 1800s, it became popular in America during the Depression when apples were hard to come by. What company, founded at least 120 years after the first known mock apple pie, is associated with the dish as their early boxes included a recipe which called for crackers, lemon-flavored syrup, and cinnamon baked into a crust? That's a long question. Well, I'm sorry. Uh. (laughs) Had to call us out. That that feels to me kind of like a you don't know Jack style question where they just talk for thirty seconds and then they put a little <laughs> snippet up on the screen so you know what the hell you're actually looking for is the answer. Yeah. Basically, what company founded in the 1930s uh, is associated with mock apple pie because their box had a recipe for it? Huh. Like I have an educated guess on this one. I'm happy to hear if anybody else thinks they know it though. I have no idea. So my guess based on what Corey just kind of clued us into is the box had the recipe because i've never heard of mock apple pie would it be something like saltines or ritz crackers or something like that it would be something like that oh i was gonna say betty crocker so good call there no so it's it is ritz ritz crackers cool good job are delicious with peanut butter thank you yeah. That's why I included just like those very few ingredients so that somebody who has no idea, as most people wouldn't, are going to lean either towards syrup, cinnamon, or crackers. Yeah. Uh, so I tried, I tried to give them or you know, anyone an, an easy uh, avenue of access here. I like that, though, because yeah, cause my first thought was Betty Crocker as well, but I'm like, Betty Crocker is associated with like chocolate cake, not mock apple pie, which is something I've never heard of. To be super picky, it seems more like a description of a cheesecake crust than an apple pie crust, but they coined the term, not me, so. Mm-hmm. Wait, what are you talking about? Mock apple pie. It sounds like they're just using Ritz crackers to crush into a pie crust. No, it's not the crust. They use crackers oh. instead of apples. So it's like oh. an hors d'oeuvre apple pie. No, it's a mock apple pie. It's in the question. Pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> you you could have added how the mock apple pie is prepared, you know, in case you needed more words in the question. <laughs> Jeez, you're getting snippy in here. <laughs> how about how about I throw the entire recipe in there? Yeah, whole thing. I want ratios. Yeah. You're just jealous. Okay, so I guess then <laughs> that leads into me. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you show me how it's done, Calvin? No, this is my first time, so this one's. I don't think I completely got the theme because my answer is rather straightforward. Oh, is it apple pie? I know this one too. Yeah. Okay. So mine's question goes <laughs> like this. A serial killer, Edward Gein, made a deal with the police. He would confess to his crimes if they would serve him what dessert with a slice of cheddar cheese on top. Ooh, cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wait, you said cheddar cheese? Mm-hmm. Dude, apples and cheese is the best. But cheddar cheese and apple pie? Not that uncommon. That's I want that right now. Shit. I'm I'm gonna go a little off brand here and and go ahead and say that Ed Gein maybe doesn't have the best taste. (laughs) He has tasted a lot of things. That's a pretty bad pun, but I'm acknowledging this one. I'm gonna go to the McDonald's (laughs) up the road after this, get an apple pie and throw some cheddar cheese on it for dinner, I think. I think you've inspired me. I'm going to do uh, exactly not that thing. Thank you for inspiring me as well. (laughs) Yeah, uh, 
It's apple pie. And I looked into why or how this came about. And it's a combination of two things. It's one like dairy farms in Pennsylvania and New England had a lot of cheese. And the second one is the apples back in the early 1900s didn't really have any flavor. They weren't very sweet at all. So they spiced it up by adding cheddar cheese to it. And I think it got replaced by ice cream. It's It's an old people thing. Yeah, this is back when apples sucked. I forgot about that. That red delicious was the only option for many Americans. Hey, so hey, you better watch yourself. Just think about making an apple pie with red delicious. That's kind of tagline: apple pie. Getting serial killers confess to their crimes at least once. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully this doesn't ruin somebody's question. But since Calvin brought it up, uh, Granny Smith obviously being the best uh, apple pie apple is named after a real person. I learned that while. uh, studying this oh cool i i learned that in a, a separate like trivia game about a year ago i think she was from australia wasn't she uh she was from england and moved to australia oh okay but yeah i feel like i learned that too it might have been off the same podcast we were listening to or learn league question i think something. it was a learning league question aaron uh, about a season or two yeah. ago and i doofed it and i think i think i did too because that's what i do I like that one, Calvin. I think that it, it was uh, straight to the point, which is okay. Like, if we didn't know that the topic was apple pie, like, it, you'd still have to think about it. Yeah. Especially the slice of cheddar cheese, like, that throws me off. Yeah. You'd have a lot of people arguing over what cheddar cheese goes on. There was a movie that had someone eating apple pie with cheese on it, and I can't remember. I, I think if my grandpa didn't eat it like that. It would have thrown me off. Yeah, no, I like the way you worded that, though. It's nice and tight, and it goes in a very different direction than the other ones uh, we've had. Yeah, it's a third of the length of Corey's question. I I did enjoy that. I I, I like that I actually got something out of that. (laughs) No, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I learned something new. I've never heard that before. About Ed Gein or the cheddar cheese? No, that's just gross. (laughs) Cheddar cheese and pie just sounds gross. I'm sorry. (laughs) It sounds amazing, and you're all wrong. Might be a regional thing. Well, let's let's see if we can learn something from Jeremy. Uh, you may have heard the phrase, as American as apple pie, but the roots of apple pie go much further back. In fact, the original known recipe for apple pie was recorded by what famous English author and poet all the way back in 1381, who is much better known for his Canterbury Tales? Really? It's him? Huh. He, rec- he is the first written known uh, apple pie recipe. That is really interesting. I didn't. I know I knew it went back that far, but yeah, maybe throwing Canterbury Tales in makes it more of a softball pub trivia question. Yeah, I, I was writing it more if it was for like a group at pub trivia than just for us here. But I could take that. I mean, I would take that as end at the thirteen eighty one. I think and... Canterbury Tales makes it an easy to medium, and then stopping at thirteen eighty one makes it a medium to hard, but still definitely gettable. Yeah, I really like that. If you left off the. Canterbury Tales, I feel like people would just guess Shakespeare. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, because people are going to go, ooh, a poet from England, it's got to be Shakespeare. And that's what I was thinking until I heard 1381, and that made me kind of shoot back further, and if it's not Shakespeare, it's Chaucer. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, the movie that featured apple pie with a slice of cheddar cheese was Taxi Driver. Oh, okay. Oh, oh yeah. I just Googled cheddar cheese apple pie movie i never saw taxi driver so while i believe that i feel like <laughs> I, I must be remembering it had like a little american flag on it and it was uh who was in taxi driver no 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 the movie i'm thinking of. <laughs> oh okay aaron eckert the guy from uh, the dark knight oh 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 all right harvey dent 
Oh, it was a smoking one. It was a smoking movie. The one where he plays Thank a cigarette you for salesman. Yeah. Thank that, you for smoking. Thank you for smoking. Yeah, that movie was so good. Yeah. I think there's a little scene where he has a yeah vermont cheddar cheese uh, there you go thank you for in this segment we just keep talking about movies that i shamefully haven't seen yet it's real good i mean listen man you got time right nothing but right you might not, you shamefully might not have seen the movie but did you shamefully write a question for us i did and i went uh, kind of a unique <laughs> direction on this so i'm going to put the challenge out to you guys uh to actually answer this question before we get into the discussion so when i do my live shows you have uh, roughly one minute to uh, lock in your answers. And because of that, I do what's kind of called a shotgun question. Uh, And you'll understand what I mean here when I ask it. So uh, the former Seagram's and current Sazerac brand of flavored liqueurs sold under the label name Dr. McGillicuddy's currently lists nine distinct flavors on their website. Using as many guesses as you like in one minute, correctly name at least five of those flavors. So uh, obviously, because the the category is apple pie, they have to have an apple pie flavor, right? They do, yeah. I mean, I immediately went cherry because they have a Dr. McGillicuddy's cherry. I went with uh, mint or peppermint. Peppermint is correct. I have never actually heard of this brand. They're schnapps. They they make schnapps. Oh. So there's going to be like a peach. Peach, oh. Uh, There is a peach, yeah. They have flavored whiskeys, too. Banana? Is this the company that does like bananas and shit? Are you thinking of 99 no. bananas? I am, maybe. So um, I think it's been about a minute. You guys, I think, collectively got five. You ready to hear the full list? Oh, I have a question. What do you got? Are their flavored whiskeys and their liqueurs the same thing, or are those two different lines? I think they're two different lines. Because I know they've got a honey-flavored whiskey. Is honey one of the answers that you've got? No, it's not. I just Googled the the bottle. I've, I don't think I've ever seen this bottle. in my. Is this a regional thing, or am I just... Drinking in the wrong places. That's a good question. I genuinely don't know. I've, it's been popular at uh, bars I've been at the, for the last several years. Yeah, I've huh. I've had it. Yeah, yeah, they were founded in 1865, so I don't think they're just limited to like one or two states at this point. All right, so hit us. What do they got? All right, well, apparently, depending on which uh, time in the last hour I look at their website, uh, there are two lists <laughs> of nine. One of them excluded cherry and included butterscotch, and the other one doesn't. So uh, let's say there's ten, and all ten that I were able to find, including apple pie, uh, based on the theme, were coffee, root beer, uh, peppermint, raw vanilla, wild grape, menthol mint, peach, and then uh, butterscotch and cherry. Hard pass on all of that. Uh, oh, the root beer is amazing. Actually sounds good. I've never had the root beer. You can keep the coffee. Oh, that's fair. See, I just wanted to take a moment and kind of spotlight uh, a unique question type that I do because of my like hard-timed question format in live shows. I wonder why they did a peppermint and a menthol. Because one tastes like breath mints and one tastes like cigarettes. That's what fair. you want. That's yeah. fair. Slight difference there. All right, so those are our questions. Uh, what do you think? Should we throw it to the audience to determine who wrote it best? Oh, always. All right, so we're going to put that uh, poll up once this episode goes live on our Twitter. That is at QuadriviaPod. Uh, you will have an opportunity to vote for the host you think wrote the best question, and uh, we will punish the person who came in last place. <laughs> Sounds about right. A thing I just made up and made canon. I like it. Perfect. Also, just as a, as a quick trivia host nugget that I think everyone would know, my, my other question was, uh, who is the only actor to appear in all of the American Pie films? Oh, that is a good one. Is it Eugene Levy? I was going to say, yeah, that's the dad. Yeah. 
And that's a whole other direction to go with this for sure. Yeah. I figured someone else was going to do that one. Cause that's like one of those things I asked that like every six months and I try and throw some, cause he got nominated for Emmys for Schitt's Creek. I try and throw fun facts in there as well. Oh, right. Right. So Aaron, I think with that, we've got, uh, we've got you hosting one of your theme rounds. Yeah. We do. Yeah. So the way that I run my game is my least favorite part of writing trivia is coming up with the categories. So one of the things that I do is if you finish in last place and stay till the end of the game, you get to pick a category for the following week. So a couple of months ago, one of the teams that finished wanted around or finished last wanted around on feminine products. So I took this and ran with it. And my halftime round was a visual round on different feminine product logos. But I also wrote 10 questions on things that are feminine products. And because this is the 21st century, any product is a feminine product. So this is just sort of a general business round. All right. I was a little worried there I for like a that. moment. I'm like, boy, did you pick yeah. the right cast for this episode to, to drop that in? I absolutely selected this because I'm surrounded by men. So feminine products, question number one. From 2006 to 2016, Jonathan Goldsmith played a character in TV and print ads that rivaled Chuck Norris for his exaggerated manliness. He freed an angry bear from a trap, gave his own father the talk, and didn't drink from the fountain of youth because he wasn't thirsty. Who is this debonair figure? And I just need the name of the character. The only thing I would think is, oh God, what is it? The most interesting man in the world? Oh, that is his name. Yep. That is correct. Is that how we're going to do this? Yep, it is now. Yeah. yeah. We'll just play as one big I'm team. like, I know that name, though. That was actually driving me nuts. That was really good, Aaron. Like, I'm like, I know Jonathan Goldsmith. Why do I know that name? And that's why mm-hmm. it rang he literally has one too. character. Uh, and he actually was one of the very few people who survived being a red shirt on uh, Star Trek. <laughs> I did not know that. That might be the most interesting fact about him. Yeah, I I didn't know his name. but Yeah, he looks just like my uh, law school property professor. Like it freaked everyone <laughs> out. All right. Question number two. Which Canadian team was the last one to win the Stanley Cup? That is the most recent Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. This team has won the Cup 22 times since 1927, including in 1973 when they had a six-game win against the Chicago Blackhawks. I'll give you guys a bonus point if you can tell me what Chicago Blackhawk allowed 32 goals in the six games of that series. I feel personally attacked by this question. I just want you to know that. So if it's 22 Cups, that's got to be the Canadiens. That's where I was going to. I don't remember who the goalie was. I forgot was. the Hawks were in the Stanley Cup in 73, but I feel like Stan <laughs> Makita might be... Wait, was he the goalie back then, or am I mispositioning uh, him? I think you're mispositioning him. I don't believe Makita was the goalie, because he's like a scoring leader. Oh, right. And who the hell was the goalie back in the late 60s, early 70s for the Hawks? I know the name. Glenn Hall, maybe? I don't remember, to be honest. I really don't remember who it is. I'm used you're to on your own, guys. Entire, yeah. <laughs> I've watched a lot of sports, but hockey is my giant dead zone, especially from way yep. back when. And especially when we're talking about Chicago. But I think we're all in agreement it's probably the Canadiens, at least. Yeah, they play hockey. <laughs> and, you know, for a flyer, I'll, I'll say Glenn Hall for us and hope. All right. All right. Well, yeah, the team to win was the Montreal Canadiens. They last won it in 1993. The goalie in 1973 in Chicago was Tony Esposito. 
Damn it, it was Espo. Okay. It sure was. Like, yeah. now you say the name, yeah, absolutely. But it, I could not place the goalie of that time frame. That one actually played easy. Like, a couple of my teams got that, which I was very proud of them. All right, number three. A concave blade, blades in quotes, consistently spaced diamond markers, a nail grabber, and a scribing tool are all features of what carpenter's necessity? Oh. Huh. It's like a fancy ruler looking thing, right? Like a, maybe not. <laughs> you guys help me. The same day, aimed at you guys, not at Aaron. Wait, <laughs> is this? Help me. Like, I feel like there, there might be like a crowbar element to it, but that scribing tool, I'm thinking like some weird Swiss army hammer. Basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, how do I describe this? Um, concave blade. Like, I mean, I guess that could just be a hammer. I mean, I'm picturing something like spoon shaped when I see concave blade. Well, I was thinking the yeah, well, I was thinking like the, the back of a hammer's curved. It's got the nail puller on it. The you've got the diamond marker like in the middle uh, for pulling the nails. Uh, you've got a, the scribing tool throws it away. I don't know. Yeah, like, is it for like drawing lines? Is it just like a straight edge kind of thing, or is it actually providing like the... what carpenter's necessity? This is rough. Yeah, I'm. Drawing a blank here. It's like, what the hell combines friend. all four of those? I don't know. I got nothing on this one, guys. No, same. Is it a name of a tool, or is it's like a kind of like a tongue-in-cheek? Like, hmm. Okay, I'm. I, I don't have anything. Y'all gonna be mad? It's. Are you ready? It's like carpenter's friend is what I was thinking of, but that's it's like no a foundation or something. What is it? Yeah, I think yeah. we're ready for yeah, the answer. It yeah. It's a tape measure. Oh. Ah. Oh right. God. Yeah. 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 Yep. Describing tools for, yeah, you poke the pencil in it, yep. and then you can... And the yep. nail grabber at the... Yep. Okay, yeah. Y- yeah. That was a really good question. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. And yeah, the reason the, the little metal bit on the end of a tape measure is ribbed is because if you don't have a pencil, you can use it to squiggle a little bit of a mark in whatever you're uh, measuring. It's called a scribing tool. And that pissed off a lot of people when I did it live. So you can mark off, like, a set distance. That right mm-hmm. there, though. Yeah, yeah no, that's like that makes all the sense in the world when you hear it, but it's really hard to find something that like combines all four of those. Damn, good question. Yeah, thank you. And that's one of those where I had the answer, and everyone went, "Oh," and I was like, "Yes, give me your pain." <laughs> this is a Slytherin in you. <laughs> Absolutely, one hundred percent. Number four, what Japanese company, which turns a hundred and ten years old this year, developed Japan's first four kilowatt induction motor? and has gone on to manufacture electronic systems and equipment, information and telecom systems, constructions machinery, defense systems, and one product in particular that bridges the gap between traditional feminine products and feminist feminine products. <laughs> I have one guess. I have one guess. I'm going to say guess. Nintendo and then ignore 80% of the question because that's the only place my head is going. Nintendo would have been like 130 years ago. My guess begins with the letter H. Yes, yeah, is it Hitachi? Hitachi is absolutely right. Good call. I'm on board with Hitachi. It is Hitachi. Yeah. yeah. Nice. That nice is job. one of my favorite questions ever because I could hear the teams get it around the room. And they did the same thing you guys did. They went, oh, yeah. And they started laughing and it was great. Yeah. I was thinking Yamaha up until the last. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like, I was like, okay, it's, if it's not Nintendo because they're around the same age, Samsung, like, I was going to like, yeah, it's, it's Korean. Korean. Yeah. I was going in my head like, okay, what are these, you know, companies? And like, as soon as you said the last one, like, it's Hitachi. <laughs> Like, I'm going to level with you. As Aaron was reading the the back end of that question, I was just dialed in for her to use the term playing cards. Yeah. 
because I was so uh, convinced because of the start of the Nintendo. question. I'm like, oh, this oh. is a Nintendo thing. Yeah. And they started as a playing card manufacturer. Yeah, but they, they'd be like 130 years old. They started. Yeah, yeah they did. They're 1890s. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, old Japanese company usually goes Nintendo, but I like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And for for those of you at home scratching your heads, Hitachi makes vibrators. Question number five. <laughs> Personal massagers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Number five. What specific practice rooted in the Islamic practice of fitra gained popularity in the West in 1946? The Western practice has nothing to do with religion and everything to do with the fashion trend that appeared at about that time. And for those of you at home, Fitra is spelled F-I-T-R-A-H. Fashion trend that appeared around the late 1940s. Oh, wow. Uh, Like the first place my head goes to is something to do with the bikini because that was about seven or eight years later. Bikinis, Pacific Islands. And I think it was an American island. Yeah. So I know it's wrong, but that's just the first place my head yeah. is going on this. So what specific practice was getting me? Because like we're in the Islamic or Islamic practice of fitra or fitra. I mean, fitra is not one of the five pillars, is it? No. No. Does it have something to do with like skirt length? Maybe. I'm saying, or maybe like head wrapping. Yeah. Maybe like scarves or uh, oh, some sort of headdress. Scarves were were existed in the you know like fashion yeah. sense in the early 20th century in the u.s isadora duncan famously got killed by one well and the mm-hmm. 40s was around the, the first time of the, around the first bikini so you're right about that but it's a little earlier than that this is coming right off of the tail end of world war ii which is why i'm thinking maybe it has something to do with like shaving women's legs oh because of nylons being able to be worn again oh that's Ooh, a that's, that's a, yeah that's a good stretch you're right. All right. Uh, that, that, I say we lock that in. Could, could we could we go the other way and say shaving armpits for, for having exposed shoulders and arms? Would that be the same era? It might be. Shaving is a better answer. It's a nice, concise wording. Yeah. That's not really okay. disputable. Bearing arms is a little more like ambiguous. body hair shaving. Yeah, body hair shaving. Yeah, like shaving. Shaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah shaving. That's a... Let's lock it in. Oh, I have All right. Hope. All right. So this is one where I would struggle and I think not give you credit in the end. The answer I was looking for was the bikini wax. Oh, bikini. Oh. Damn so it. I was Jason, there at the beginning. You were, yeah. you were right there. And then you came Wait. back to it and then you almost got it. But it was not shaving legs because of nylons. It was bikini waxing. Uh, feature is ritualistic hair removal. So okay. the particular Western practice of removing hair, the bikini area, was because the bikini was introduced in the 1940s. Hmm. Wow, okay. I was okay. So I was wrong for shutting you down about bikinis. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I wasn't confident on that. I just had it within like a decade. Damn. Okay. Well, I just, I just knew that that, that was around the right time. Because it was right after World War Two or towards the end of World War Two, and then uh, the song mm-hmm. "Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini" came out in the early fifties. I think it's interesting yeah. that we got to the right ballpark because they were bombing the shit of Bikini Atoll and wanted to make it seem sexy and not terrifying. So they, <laughs> yes, they named a skimpy bathing suit after. <laughs> I had so much fun listening to you guys puzzle that out, though. Uh, Number six. What is the word for the lightweight, stiff netting that is most commonly made out of polyester, but can be made from a variety of fibers? It is usually used for veils and poofy dresses, and its name comes from the French town that was a center of lace and silk production in the 18th century. That silence indicates just how many men are on this podcast right now. (laughs) Yep. 
That's why I picked this category. Tool, taffeta, chiffon, it's one of those. Oh, yes, they're stiff knitting. Yeah. Uh, it's usually it's for veils and poofy dresses. Um, his name comes from the French town. What about... The French town's what's getting me. I think it's either tulle or taffeta or chiffon. It's one of those. I like that. Oh, chiffon. Okay, I'd be okay with that. Is your spelling of tulle T-O-I-L-E? No, no. Or what's tulle? What? Yeah, I think that's the, the spelling on it. Okay. At least if it's the word I'm thinking it is. That's that's what? probably my weakest of the three. It's it's like chiffon or... Like chiffon better. Yeah. Yeah, I like yeah screw it. Let's go with chiffon. But I don't think it's a city, but yeah. Right. Yeah, the answer is tool. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it T O I L E? T U L L E. Okay. Huh. Yeah. All right. I see that now. Yep. Yeah. Goddamn. Number seven. Eric Lawson was one of many actors to portray what character? Unlike others who wore this hat, he played the character in print ads from 1978 to 1981. And then as a parody of that character in a TV ad and as a PSA on Entertainment Tonight. Now, when I'm thinking of that, like a TV ad, I'm thinking like Marlboro Man. That's where my head's going to. Yeah, there were several of them. Multiples who died of lung cancer. Yeah, there were at least seven actors, I think, who wore this hat, I think, is a a nice subtle clue in there, too. Yeah, I feel comfortable locking that in. Yeah. Hey, Marlboro Man. All right, yeah, it is the Marlboro Man. Nice job. Question eight. What is the last name of the 19th century chemist who invented mascara using the then-new product petroleum jelly? His name has become so synonymous with mascara that it still translates that way in Portuguese, Spanish, Greek, Turkish, Romanian, and Persian. Confusingly, it sounds like it might be a better name for eyeliner or perhaps a sex thing. So should we just name makeup brands? Oh, would it be? I mean, Vaseline. No, Vaseline is named from the Greek words for water and oil. I was thinking like the new product, petroleum jelly. Vaseline was like the first petroleum jelly. But it's it's not synonymous with mascara. Maybelline. It's not a sex thing. No, Maybelline was named (laughs) for the uh, discoverer's sister, if I remember right. Better name for an eyeliner or perhaps a sex thing. Uh, mascara. Well, no, wait, that was already in the question. <laughs> Fashion kills us, guys. What's the the London brand? Ramel? Ramel London? Ramel? Not, not yeah. Rimming. Not a sex thing. Rimming is a sex thing. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of like rimming. It fits a lot of the back rimming? end of this clue. Um, all right. <laughs> oh, Remington. Remington. Is that the one you're thinking? That's a stretch for a sex thing. So is rimming. <laughs> All right. I'm okay with Remington. L'Oreal. L'Oreal. Sephora. Ulta. Urban Decay. <laughs> <laughs> elf. Is Elf a sex thing? It is now. <laughs> I mean, everything's a sex thing if you try hard enough. Rule 34. <laughs> right? Yep. All right. So are we throwing a guess in or are we tapping out on this one, guys? I would say guess Remington. That's at least... Yeah, I don't have a better answer. And I'm bummed because I should know like the Spanish for this or something like that. All right, what do we got, Aaron? Well, the answer is Rimmel. You guys said Uh-oh. it, and then you backed away from it <laughs> Rimming. for some reason. Oh, yeah, we said, they said Ribbing. Yes. Well, no, someone said Rimmel. Or, yeah, you said it, and then you're like... Yeah. Oh, was it? Okay. Okay, yeah, somebody yeah. did say Rimmel. You're right. Yeah, that was me. I yeah. was picturing it R-A-M-E-L, and I'm like, how is that a sex thing? Oh, 
nope. Yeah, that's why no. I said rimming. So, oh well. We are we we have been so close to all of these. <laughs> yeah, this is this is not a dude friendly round, and that's why I picked it. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that like three in a row where we've talked ourselves out of the answer? Yep. I think so. Yeah. Well, no, you got Marlboro Man, so you're doing okay. All right, number nine, home stretch. What company founded in 1999 in Las Vegas was purchased by Amazon in 2009? It was originally called ShoeSite.com, but changed its name for a few months after its founding to a name that had a little more international flair. I know this one. No more guessing. Okay, what is it? Right. Isn't that Overstock? or Overstock's Mormon. I think this one's Zappos. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I've heard that. I'd definitely sign on to that. Zappos all the way. Is that was purchased by Amazon? I don't know. Ooh, actually, I don't know about that. I take that back. No, I, I like that. I don't know if they... Stick, stick with Zappos. We're bought by Amazon. Though. But I don't know how that like references the international flair part of the clue. No, it's... Yeah. Aren't Zappos shoes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. But I, th- I know Zappos. Zappos was for shoes originally. Yeah. I just we've talked ourselves out of too many. Lock it in. Yeah, no, we don't Zappos. lock it in. We're <laughs> either going to break the trend or continue on this path. No, hooray! You got it right. It's Zappos. Right. I'm so happy. Okay, nice job. I, I heard him say it. I'm like, yes. Then you assholes tried to argue with him. I'm like, stop arguing. That's the right <laughs> answer. All right. <laughs> nice job. I think I doubted myself first. Never doubt yourself, Calvin. That's our job. Hey. So also, if the question was ever was it bought by Amazon, the answer is probably going to be yes. <laughs> this podcast sponsored by amazon soon enough (laughs) please oh my god please yes please (laughs) (laughs) all right number 10 what is the two-word term commonly used to describe the phenomenon where products marketed towards women tend to have a higher price point than similar products marketed towards men that's a pretty easy lock-in i think isn't that just the pink tax the pink tax yeah yeah Mainly on shaving razors, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is the pink tax. Nice job. And that concludes the round on feminine products. You guys did better than I expected a bunch of dudes to do. And so much worse (laughs) than we could have if we just listened to our gut instincts the first damn time. Yep. Yep. That or one woman. That's all you need. Isn't that just like the trap of trivia in general, though? Like if you just listened to your gut, you would have got it right. Yeah, that's true. I think what's funny is the only one that we never even said or got close to was tape measure. Right. (laughs) The one that's arguably the most male-centric of of any of the products she asked about. Yeah. 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 You guys, you said the right answer like 80% of the time. Oh, we would be a terrible uh, trivia team at one of Aaron's nights. Yep. But if you ever want to come play Thursday nights. If we're ever allowed back out of the house. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. That was an awesome round. Thank you, Aaron, for hosting that. Thank you. I think we're going to have to to wrap it up here let's take it back jeremy i know you need to get out of here pretty quick so let's have you say goodbye first all right uh yeah i was jeremy with liquid courage uh you can find us online at the liquidcourage.com uh mostly uh facebook.com just liquid courage or you can find me specifically uh at jrwg on twitter or lk jeremy on twitch uh calvin hi uh thanks for having me i had a blast this is my first show uh once again i am footnote trivia I'm in San Francisco, and you can find me at footnotetrivia.com. And this has been Jason. Uh, Jeremy dropped a lot of our uh, plugs, but specifically you can find me on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash liquid underscore courage. 
Uh, the underscore is important. And also in our Twitter and our Instagram. And I'm Aaron with Orange Cat Trivia in Richmond, Virginia. Orange Cat Trivia on Facebook, Instagram, and Gmail. And this is Corey with Third Degree Entertainment in Spokane. Uh, find me on Twitch, Third Degree Entertainment on Twitch. And that's the only one that really matters. So uh, hopefully I'll see you there soon. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for being here. I had a great time. I look forward to the next one. Uh, you can contact us at quadriviapod at gmail.com and at quadriviapod on Twitter. Yeah, that's a good one, too. And uh, actually, Pod <laughs> on Facebook. I don't know if we have a direct link yet, uh, but we are on Facebook. You look up Quadrivia Podcast. We are there. Hopefully, you'll come find us and hear us talking to you. All right, I'm done. Have a good night, everybody. And that's how you end a podcast. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> good night, everybody. Goodbye.